0: Hi, everyone. This is Mark Iskowitz, executive editor of MMNM, and welcome to this week's episode of the MMNM podcast, where we interview people of note in and around the world of healthcare marketing. I'm flying solo here with my guest, Jane saracen Khan, the noted healthcare economist. See how it did that, Jane? I like to work in the compliments early on. Uh, we're going to continue talking about you in the third person here for a moment, but welcome.
1: Thank you, Mark. Happy to be here.
0: Our listeners are no doubt familiar with her work, not only her quick takes on social media via her twitter Twitter handle, Healthy Thinker, as well as her more considered takes on her Health Populi blog. She's also written reports for the California Healthcare Foundation, and she's also in good company, like her recent guest blog with co authors Lisa Soonan and Susanna Fox on the sale of twenty three and me to United Health, which was great. And she's a popular guest on the speaking circuit, including uh, moderating a panel a couple of years ago at our spring conference, MMM Transforming Healthcare, uh, about the value and price of drugs. And she's been appearing at many venues these days because she's got a new book out. It's called Health Consuming, and it's all about healthcare consumerism, a trend which she's been forecasting for at least a decade, right?
1: Absolutely. Say
0: about that? Yeah. That's right. And we'll get to all that now. So thanks for joining us, and thank you, Jane, for being here in the studio.
1: I'm happy to be here, and I have to say, also, thank you for making me a um, healthcare transformer in 2016. So I feel like ah, I'm right. back in the family today. Thank, thank you, you for you. reminding me. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, she's also one of the you know gosh darn nicest people people you'll ever meet. So <laughs> thank you. Uh, it's, it's great to, to have you here. Thanks. So, um, uh, you know. One of the questions I've always wanted to ask you, and we'll start off with kind of a bio question, is how did you get into the world of healthcare uh, economics?
1: Sure. I studied economics as an undergrad at University of Michigan, which is my home state, go blue, and um, became a young economist in the energy industry, interestingly enough. when we started to think about solar and, you know, I was kind of leaning to all that. And then my mom had been diagnosed with a very rare leukemia in 1971. And I was very young when she was first diagnosed. And she outlived her prognosis by many years. But um, when she passed away, I looked at the EOB as a very young economist still in college and wondered who the heck's paying all of these monies. Um, As it turned out, she worked for a school district and was well covered by a union. I'm from Michigan. Don't forget Hmm. uh, health plan. And long, long story short, it made me think about who pays for health care. And I retooled back at University of Michigan Hmm. in public health and economics. There was no single degree In health economics, we're looking at the um, early to mid 80s. Mm -hmm. Um, So (laughs) Uwe Reinhart was but a young economist Mm -hmm. then um, and Martin Feldstein, and they were sort of the gurus that I studied under whose books I read. Long story short, I became a healthcare consultant, moved to Philadelphia. And so all I've ever done since leaving graduate school at University of Michigan is not be an academic health economist, but a health economist deploying that mindset as an advisor management consultant mm-hmm. in healthcare for you know almost 30 years. It was mm-hmm. a long time.
0: So that's an important part of, as well, is that you've kind of deployed this skill set as a consultant. That's
1: right. Not academic. And I think Mm -hmm. about that a lot. So I've worked across the whole ecosystem on purpose, not just with Mm -hmm. hospitals or pharma or med device um, or home care, long term care. But in fact, across everywhere, because that's how an economist can look at uh, the bird's eye view. And that's really now um, on my own in in the last 15, 18 years. Um, that's the brand that I am, which is really Mm -hmm. ecosystem-wide thinking about health care and health in general.
0: Mm -hmm. And another one of the ABCs, if you will, of of uh, economics is forecasting, mm-hmm. and this has got to be a tough time for anyone in, in the business of forecasting, right? Given all the uncertainty with the uh, how the healthcare policy front is shaping up.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So after working ten years in big accounting consulting firms here and in London with my banker husband, who pulled me over to London mm-hmm. for a few years, which was mm-hmm. great, um, I returned then uh, ascending to a partnership in a firm and I decided not to pursue that. I wanted to be a mom at some point and live a different life than in those days a woman in a, an accounting based consulting firm could live. Uh, that would involve nannies and being away a lot and I wanted a different vision. So long story short, I started Think Health, my firm and um, one of my earliest clients was Institute for the Future in California, in Menlo Park, even though I was based in Philly. So I worked 10 years as an affiliate. And that's they were a major client f- for me and relationship and helped me launch my firm under Ian Morrison there at the time, who's still a great friend and mentor. And then Wendy Everett after Ian left. Um, and I made some of my best friends working there. Matthew Holt, the founder of Health 2.0, Mary Kane, um, lots of people. Molly Coy, who's still Uh, out there and and doing great. Uh, But anyway, that's where I learned my forecasting chops Mm -hmm, and continue to uh, forecast in my own way, largely lately scenario planning because it is so murky.
0: Right, right. It's like wargaming, right? It's just
1: well playing it's, out the different scenarios it's it's great you say that you're you're brilliant as we knew but when you think <laughs> about um herman kahn no relation to my husband or me um hmm. in the old war game scenario it was think the unthinkable That was from the Rand Institute, thinking about Mm -hmm. nuclear war. That's Mm -hmm. where scenario planning came out of. And so we think about what we know we know. And this is what I tell all my clients and a few might be listening who I've done this with over the years. What do we know we know? The certainties. What do we know we don't know? The uncertainties. And the third category are these things called wild cards, which can really Mm -hmm. blow things out of the water. You can't just do a straight line forecast anymore. Mm -hmm. You Mm -hmm. have to think about what do we know? What do we know we don't know? Um, and then those other niggly things that could mm-hmm. really blow you, you you apart. And right now, yeah. there are so many wild cards we have to think about ponder to help our clients whether it's hospital groups mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm, pharma i'll mm-hmm. um, uh, do a lot of work in technology as you know both consumer tech and health it um, and for all these different stakeholders the uncertainties are huge and then the wild cards you have to think about right like for a big food company it's cbd now um so we have a couple big food clients and Looking at nutrition and health, food as medicine. Big part of my book has to do with food in the social determinants chapter, which we'll talk about. But um, CBD, there's no FDA regulation and they're wrestling. And in the meantime, Kroger is beginning to carry foods with CBD mm-hmm. with health claims, little c. Well, mm-hmm. you know, that is a big wild card right, right now for right. us, looking FDA, at yeah. the food right. as medicine, consumers yeah. saying, yeah. I'm in pain. I want to avoid opioids, so let's try some CBD to make me happy.
0: Sure, sure. Well,
1: you know, that's just one of many wild cards that we're thinking about right now.
0: Yeah. If there was one question that you get most often, could you put your finger on that? In terms of the future? What your clients are really worried about. Oh,
1: um, the most common scenario right now is, are we going to have single payer, Medicare for all, no public option? Or are we going to have universal health care that will have a public option? And there are many flavors in between. Um, I believe we will have some uh, form of universal care. We might get to 90%. I don't know. It depends on the mechanism. But there's enough uh, universal in terms of popular support for health care beyond just covering pre existing conditions. And as mm-hmm. we were starting today I mused about how I'm not sure how you cover pre-existing conditions without something to hang that on mm-hmm. and that's one of the conundrums I'm facing now when we go and look at the de- presidential debates or uh, any other venue mm-hmm. you know what is the the skeleton that we're hanging things on what's mm-hmm. the noun mm-hmm. and it has to be some sort of either catastrophic plan or another sort of health plan mm-hmm. so that's the big question you know when we create Create certainties and uncertainties on four axes. You know, um, universal care versus not, and then going across, who pays—public, private—you create mm-hmm. the four the four cells in a scenario. And I know that's a little wonky for people listening. I'm I'm using my hands to draw a picture, and you can't see it, but. Um, that's the question now: Is mm-hmm. how are we? What is health insurance going to look like in America?
0: Right, and and everything is being contested, including the individual mandate. And so, how do you pay for this? Is, is yet another and prescription question,
1: so. drugs within that too?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, mm-hmm. Will sure. that be covered or not? Right. And even just looking at medic, just if we talk about Medicare in the donut hole,
0: right. uh,
1: that alone we could spend uh, an hour on mm-hmm. and more.
0: Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Well, let's get to the book because we don't want to forget to talk about that. Of Thanks, course, Mark. sure. Uh, and uh, one of the you know the first chapters that you encounter is uh, a chapter on the, the patient as, as payer, mm-hmm. and I have to say that was one of the most deeply researched chapters mm-hmm. um, in the book. I was very impressed with the the bibliography there. Uh, but um, you know, it, you you frame a lot of the um, a lot of the chapter as the unique. Problems that we deal with in America, you know, in terms of uh, both shopping uh, for the lowest prices on prescription drugs, but at the same time saving, putting money aside for those deductibles, you know, that that always going to creep creep up, um, as well as um, you know, say the uh, the retail style payment tactics that that we uh, often encounter. Um, the first time that we register for a procedure, like I encountered when we registered my daughter to get her adenoids taken out, you mm-hmm. know, oh, you got to pay this six hundred dollars right up front. Uh, hello, you know, <laughs> right? <laughs> what about the patient? What about the caregiver? Right. Um, and a really startling fact that the, that that you that you noted there was that the patient is now the third largest payer in healthcare after the government and employers, which I thought was really um, that's right. So, you know, in a way, not surprising, but really just startling to see it in in black and white. Um, so, um, you know, and, and you go through a lot of examples, uh, like the EpiPen, you know, how that became synonymous with, with price gouging. Um, but, um, you know, that was a great example, as you said, of, of consumers kind of voting with their feet, you know, and, and and the moms, let's say said, okay, we're going to, we're going to go to the generic and, and they, they really affected the market share that way. You know, when, when you look at, uh, more direct out of pocket costs being taken up by the consumer, where's the next point that you see consumers flexing that muscle?
1: Yeah, I think it's in the retail health space and people saying, uh, especially younger people, uh, like one of us in the room uh not, Saying, not I. I don't need a medical home anymore. I don't need a GP who I have a relationship with. More and more younger people. My daughter's 23. She's one of them, and she informs me a lot when I look at her. She's a young working person now with health insurance. But she'd much rather go on use the app that her employer provides for a Skype-type visit in a HIPAA-compliant environment uh, with secure messaging, which is important, to consult, say, with for a dermatology problem, than to go to a dermatologist and take time. So I think we're seeing with the advent of CVS, with just announced Care Pass for people mm-hmm. like my kid who wants to have a pill, an Amazon Pill Pack like experience mm-hmm. to have prescription drugs delivered, but also go to a CVS to their new Health Hub concept that they have, mm-hmm. and then do these virtual care visits. So we are seeing this upending of the traditional patient um, physician relationship. And the question is, uh, is that genie going to be out of the bottle pretty quickly, or will we still be able to preserve that relationship? And then what does that mean for how you keep track of care? There has to be some sort of electronic health record that's quite malleable and cloud-based. And um, I have a whole chapter on digital health, um, secure or insecure. And the the question here is, who owns that data and where is it? And right now, it's everywhere. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, and we're skipping sort of to a, a later part of the book, but it's very important that ultimately the individual, the payer, person, the consumer owns her data and can control it in a secured way through a cloud, possibly secured by blockchain. We're not mm-hmm. there yet, mm-hmm. but we now have what are called fire standards, F-H-I-R, which mm-hmm. take data that are in an electronic health record and data from our wearable technology and other places and can appify within a traditional EHR, the data to make it more liquid, and move around where it needs to go. So the vision that I have for this is not just my vision. It's people like Dr. Eric Topol and my friend Johan Sonnen up at MIT and the Go Invo Studios. We're all talking about how do we enable this future of a person owning his or her data, mm-hmm. and this is a world beyond HIPAA. And that, again, is another big subject. We cover it some in the book. And I had a lot of assistance from Devin McGraw, who's a very prominent health privacy person, used to be with ONC and mm-hmm. the Office of Civil Rights, and now is with CITIZEN, that's C-I-I-T-I-Z-E-N. Hmm. Started by an
0: ex-Appler, right?
1: That's right. And so she's now um, the chief uh, regulatory and privacy officer at, at CITIZEN. But she vetted my chapter
0: nice. for
1: uh peer review. And so did Ligia Richardi, who's also quite famous in her area uh, as well. And she's with Carrion now. She used to be at ONC as well. So I had lots of friends helping me out in the book. But um, to your point about what's going to upend this, you know, what's what's the next thing? It's a combination of things. It's got to do with data, being you know the new currency and Mm -hmm. that's how we're going to drive outcomes it's going to be with retail health formats because we the consumer as payer are looking for that experience so if we don't get them in a traditional doctor's office or emergency room then we'll go to urgent care we'll go to a retail clinic we'll do a virtual visit Which Mm -hmm. are still Mm -hmm. young and new. Only about one in 10 people Mm -hmm. have done this yet. But I believe we're at this hockey stick. Pivot mm-hmm. point right mm-hmm. now, and lots of funding going on for that.
0: What, what What do you think is going to precipitate that hockey stick and uh, usage of tele telehealth telemedicine?
1: Um, so I just wrote about this uh, two days ago in Health Populi on oh. on uh, Monday. So it would be uh, August fourth uh, uh, on Health Populi, but you'll see a blog on telehealth this week, and it's it brings in um, new data from JD Power. We know J.D. Power for for cars and for washing machines Mm -hmm. uh, and experiences in retail. Well, now J.D. Power is evaluating telemedicine providers, 31 of them, (laughs) and has a report (laughs) coming out in November. Well, I got early data um, to look at satisfaction so far with telehealth. So we know one in 10 Americans has used a telehealth visit. And when people use it, they're pretty satisfied and the Mm -hmm. costs are pretty uh, low, lower. Mm-hmm. So if you add, if you bring quality mm-hmm. together with cost, that's really what's driving people for, to these new formats. Right, satisfaction. Um, and then employers who are sponsoring telehealth, and most large employers now have it as a benefit that they that they pay for, but employees aren't yet well informed about the availability and, and the access accessibility mm-hmm. of telehealth. And that was one of the major messages mm-hmm. that came out of the J.D. Power study is that mm-hmm. once people use it, they taste it, they love the convenience, mm-hmm. the access, and sure. all of that, and their perceived quality. But so many people aren't aware of the benefit and the benefit of the benefit. Why right. it's Where why it can it be good
0: and as a covered benefit. As a covered
1: benefit, mm-hmm. and so as soon as um, employers start to educate employees, and then younger people access it as well, and there's word of mouth, we'll see younger people educating. Parents mm-hmm. and sure. older people in their lives about it. And that's what always yeah. happens with new adoption, adoption of new technology.
0: Sure. And then you see, you know, the drivers of that, you know, uh- overall, obviously, is, is the shift to value-based care, but mm-hmm. the, the policy is like, you know, Medicare Advantage uh, or Medicaid rule that you have to, the government has to pay for the, the lowest priced form of transportation, which was a real boon, of course, to the ride-sharing startups over right. in Lyft and a whole host of, of new brokers um, uh, in, in that area mm-hmm. um, that are kind of um, helping facilitate that, uh, like hitch health and, and, uh, and circulation and so on and so forth. Yeah.
1: And just uh, to, to round that out, um, you're smart to Bring up the reimbursement aspect. So, uh, coupled in my JD with my JD Power analysis is a look at the new ATA American Telemedicine Association report on the state of the states. They used to call it. Now they, they're calling it the 2019 report on the states. On Ann Mon Johnson, since she took over ATA, it's really driving a lot of change there to broaden telemedicine into telehealth digital mm. health in general and just um, as Lisa Soonan and Susanna Fox uh, Anne Anmon Johnson, I go way back too, so uh, we're we're a bit of a cabal. But um, you'll see in my blog post, looking at the 50 state analysis, and more and more parity in terms of how Medicaid and Medicare are beginning to Medicaid in the state level and Medicare nationally are starting to bring parity mm-hmm. to the payment and mm-hmm. the access points, um, and also to who provides the telehealth visit. So doctor, nurse. Other provider, pharmacist. More, mm-hmm. there are as many as six categories in some states that are approved um, to categories mm-hmm. of licensed professionals to do telehealth visits in mm-hmm. some states. So yeah. again, tipping right. point time. We're starting right. to see once parity is covered um, for cost and and then type of provider. Um, it, this is really going to move right.
0: quite quickly in the next couple of years. Right. So the licensing was one thing i, I heard they needed to, to work out. But, um, mm-hmm. um, you know, you, you also talk about crowdfunding for medical expenses, which was really another fascinating area. But um, Very American. <laughs> yeah.
1: We don't find that anywhere in the world. And I do a lot of work in Europe. Uh-huh. And this just is not reality to, to them and they don't understand and a lot of doctors sure. over there in Europe ask me about it but no crowdfunding GoFundMe sites are now mm-hmm. very common and mm-hmm. they're also very dangerous there's a lot of scams right. on right. there so it's a real caveat mTOR
0: space mm-hmm. yeah, and the spectrum health example is a, is a really good one for people to check out on their own Um, let's move on to chapter uh, three going in order here. We're not, don't worry, we're not going to get to every single chapter, but, uh, I just thought, you know, hard to, you know, have you here and not ask for your opinion uh, on what you call the Amazon priming of consumers, uh, to kind of raise the bar and their expectations for, uh, the healthcare experience. Uh, and you know, you break it down nicely. What what is the, what do we like about the, uh, about the prime experience? Mm -hmm. A, you know, when your goods are going to arrive two days or less, B, you know how much that item is going to cost before you pay for it, and C, you can see what other people think about it. You know, with Amen. all the online reviews, right? So, um, are there signs of progress that healthcare is actually able to meet that higher bar for the Amazon Prime experience?
1: Yeah, I think so, and this is one of the areas where you said I go around and speak a lot. This is a big theme in a lot of my talks lately. Last week, I spoke at the Consumer Healthcare mm. Products Association. That's the over-the-counter part of the business. Mm-hmm. And they were lapping up this topic because mm. they're all about this. Yes, They're right. all about experience at retail and beacons right. and help <laughs> helping you manage your way through the store and don't leave. Wait, there's more. <laughs> so uh, yeah, they they love this, that part of the world. But so do consumers because this is a growing self-care environment. Again, mm-hmm. we're used to pumping our own petrol, except in two states. I think New Jersey and Oregon are the only two. We're checking out groceries. I just went to an Amazon Go store in Chicago a couple weeks ago. It's astonishing. Like you just take things off of the shelves once you have the app on your phone, and you walk out, and you mm. think, I'm getting away with something. But you're <laughs> not, because it's in your credit card. But um, a, a lovely experience. So, yeah, where are we starting to see green shoots, Mm -hmm. of the Amazon priming experience in healthcare. One area where some folks are showing more transparency are some hospitals and some clinics are starting to list prices that are relevant to you. Some are even bringing it uh, through an app to your phone, uh, working in a back office area, pairing to your insurance to show you the true transparency for you. The idea, say in pharma that um, we've recently heard about showing Retail prices of a drug on a DTC ad, and I will just say this because it's me. I read some um, things about that. Yes. I bet you did. I think you've written some things <laughs> about that, in M&M, one of my go-to sources. Oh, thank you. But um, it's not relevant to an N of one, and healthcare is highly personal. So if mm-hmm. we want to do mm-hmm. true personalized medicine, people want transparency that's transparency to me. You know, what, what is, how's it going to affect my budget and my health care? So um, another example of an Amazon Prime experience is Geisinger in central Pennsylvania, a wonderful mm-hmm. health system. And they have um, a food pharmacy uh, where they will advise people with type 2 diabetes how to mm-hmm. eat better. And they actually have fresh food and teach you how to read labels. But they also provide in another part of Geisinger a refund, if you're not happy with your care, they have a fund to give you money back, like a really? warranty plan mm-hmm. you'd get for your car. So we're starting to see examples taken from the financial services industry, the travel industry, and other service industries, hospitality baking it into the healthcare experience with the rise of people who can help us do this, which are the new uh, cadre of service designers, UX, UI designers. Mm -hmm. So a big theme in um, a lot of my meetings lately is how do we bring design thinking into healthcare Mm -hmm. the way um, a Marriott might do it or a Hyatt in hospitality, or uh, your best retail experience, like a Nordstrom experience, or an Amazon experience. So a lot of the people who do designing in those places are coming into healthcare now. Mm-hmm, and that's mm-hmm. a very scarce resource that's a very competitive field sure. for uh, tell your loved ones to to, to enter that because they'll be mm-hmm. fully employed. But design thinking UX, is uh, really important. Titles, so yeah. what IDEO does, what frog design does, mm-hmm. um, I mentioned Wuhan, on at Go Invo Studios in, in Cambridge. Um, all these people are bringing the experience. Amy Cueva, Mad Powell, de- redesigning mm. what an EOB looks like <laughs> for mm-hmm. delight. And mm. Amy and her firm at MadPow work with financial services, education, and healthcare. Wow. So they're bringing all that experience to bear in the medical bill.
0: Mm -hmm. now one challenge to this uh, higher bar uh, for the UX would be transparency and as you point out we don't have it truly yet because a you know um, it depends on the condition you know in terms of the availability of pricing information say for procedures as you mentioned the little experiment with with transparency around drug prices really Mm -hmm. you know was not helpful Um, uh, referrals are also very powerful and they they can sometimes overcome data that's available oh I've just got a referral from my doctor for XYZ specialist I'm going to take that um, and and go go to that person Um, and And a
1: surprise medical bill arrives Mm -hmm. I mean that's what's frightening in that environment right because your own doctor doesn't know uh, who may be in your network right and and this is again very right. very right. american
0: and and doctor uh, online doctor reviews are also quite spotty there was a one study you cited that showed that for 20 percent of doctors they didn't have any reviews mm-hmm. so it's hard to kind of shop for your for your doctor yes um but um these things it's kind of like the early days of the internet you know you have this abiding you know faith that they're going to figure it out some way somehow
1: yeah over time and um Again, you know, uh, we have these stakeholders in healthcare that are digging their heels in. What is a health mm-hmm. plan anymore? What is a doctor who's taking on risk? All of a sudden, there's actu- there are actuaries behind the doctor helping the doctor manage risk for a population. There's mm-hmm. CVS mm-hmm. buying right. Aetna. Is right. that a pharmacy anymore? Mm-hmm. No, that's mm-hmm. a vertically integrated uh, health uh, provider. Um, who can take on risk because they've got Mm. Aetna Mm. baked in. Mm -hmm. Then you have Mm. Cigna with Express Scripts. What is that combination? Mm -hmm. So we've got all these collaboratives coming together to help address this question that that you're posing, which is what's going to move us forward in transparency and the consumer service. Mm -hmm. It's all of these comings together in different mm-hmm. flavors, different ways. And we don't know, this is the uncertainty, how these are all going to turn out. We are living in an experimental times. But yeah. we feel like because of Amazon and also consumers saying, I've had enough, I'm paying. I want the experience. So you have a lot of different forces from the ground at the consumer and then Amazon and other forces. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then the economy, which, you know, as an economist, I have to bring up the fact that Next year we might be have have some rocky yeah, rocky I had to road. Bring that up. I'm sorry, uh, but it's you know we this week it's it's timely. The market tanked and um, we need to be realistic about that as well. Because if the patient is the payer and she and he aren't saving, and I talk about mm-hmm. how Americans are very poor savers in the book, even with a health savings account, we don't save enough. And it's a brilliant triple tax advantaged vehicle, an HSA. Um, We'll be in trouble, and that's where those of us who have to look maybe 10 years out – start to think, okay, that's when more boomers are retiring, haven't saved student debt also in the boomer population Mm -hmm. for grandchildren and older children. So um, we have to think ahead about what healthcare might look like and what's the value around the services we provide beyond the service or the pill itself. Mm -hmm.
0: Great. Yeah. So that's a perfect segue to another area I wanted to ask you about that's kind of progressing, although kind of in fragmented, siloed fashion, and that's this um, forces aligning around the social determinants of health, mm-hmm. uh, which of course has become something of a buzz phrase in the industry. But you know, you see these announcements from like an Intermountain Healthcare and uh, uh, Humana um, and Caremore that have all uh, announced initiatives to address the social determinants of health. Yeah. And just this past month, uh, you had another big one, kind of the SDOH uh, deal of the month, which was CVS Health. Um, right. announcing a social uh, determinants platform and using uh, uh, Unite Us, which is kind of quickly distinguishing itself in the SDOH uh, platform mm-hmm. arena, uh, providing the digital infrastructure for that platform. And what I found interesting about that was that the um, providers in the CVS networks of so the pharmacists in their you know 9,700 drug stores mm-hmm. um, or in their minute clinics or in their health hubs uh, can now, within their EHR, make electronic referrals to people in this social network. And not only that, but um, anybody can tap into that network. So it allows it allows social providers from food pantries to churches to barbershops to kind of join that supply chain, if you will. Um, so this seemed to be a tipping point in terms of um, if, if anybody in the industry, um, uh, <laughs> pharma, uh, is still sitting on the sidelines for social determinants of health, this could be a good time to jump in because – Um, You know, if providers are are making referrals for uh, social services right alongside prescribing for therapeutics, that seems like an opportunity for biopharma.
1: It's a huge opportunity. Um, A little sidebar about the CVS acquisition of Aetna, because they didn't just buy an insurance company, they bought also the Aetna Foundation. And the man Mm -hmm. who led uh, the Aetna Foundation is Dr. Garth Graham, who's a long time social determinants of health guru 20 years in it before it was sexy Mm -hmm. the new black Mm -hmm. garth dr garth graham has been around and he's somebody i admire fiercely Hmm. and so he's now with the cvs aetna foundation but he's a big driver underneath this and is really part of the intel inside right. of mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. CVS's move toward this. He seems to be the one who very exciting.
0: the choice of Unite us.
1: Yes, he and he gets it. So he's been around this block for a long time mm-hmm. and a smarter guy in that field mm-hmm. you will you, you will not meet. So the biopharma opportunity um, funny and uh, insightful story uh, okay. I will SIGHT not CIT insight. Um, I was with a very major a biotech life science company, a couple years ago, advising in a sort of town hall setting their managed markets group. So those of you who don't know managed markets, those are the people dealing with the big payers, Medicare, Medicaid, VA, self-insured employers. And this company was launching a very expensive six-figure new drug. I won't say what it was for, or new therapy, uh, or don't want to give it away. But when I was um, meeting in this town hall setting and being asked a lot of questions, um, I asked part of this group who dealt with Medicaid um, approval on a state-by-state basis, Um, Are any of you talking to the SNAP benefit or food stamp folks in the states that you're working with? Because if Mrs. Jones gets the drug approved at this six-figure price by Medicaid, and Mrs. Jones doesn't have a refrigerator that works well and can't buy the food she needs to eat to be healthy, your drug will not work as well in Mrs. Jones as the promise of it should. Mm-hmm. So right. they never thought about this. Does <laughs> Mrs. Jones have access to healthy food, transportation, electricity for her refrigerator, etc.? These are the opportunities. Mm-hmm. If you have a new, new thing coming out that's approved by the FDA, and man, you've made it onto the formulary, congratulations. But that's not enough because Mrs. Jones has to be able to thrive on Mm -hmm. that product or guess what next year you won't be on the formulary anymore Mm
0: -hmm. so the
1: opportunity Mm. is not just because you're a nice guy or gal it's Mm because you want the outcome to be the outcome that's promised, the promise of the therapy. So whatever Mrs. Jones needs, um, you can work in these ecosystems. Mm -hmm. And this is the opportunity for pharma to go beyond the value of the pill. We've all talked about this for well over 15 years. What's the value? These are things that are valuable to the patient, So I I urge all of you to go back to JAMA, an article in October. I think it was 2015 or 2016, and I will give Mark the real citation so he can put this on the blog site. The article in JAMA was called, Value-Based Payment Requires Valuing What Matters to Patients. It's a mouthful, meaning if you're taking on risk, you better understand what the patient's life is like. Mm-hmm. What does mm-hmm. Mrs. Jones value? Right. Because if you're doing an orthopedic surgery and it's the orthopod is happy to, to heal a bone within X centimeters, Mrs. Jones doesn't really care about that clinical outcome. She wants to get on the floor and play with her grandchildren. Hmm. That's Or Mr. Jones wants to swing a golf club again. So it's sort mm-hmm. of like, doctor, will I be able to play the piano again? You know, two guys mm-hmm. walking into a bar. It's get to know what's important to the patient. Right. And the social determinants get to that. Right. You know, right. if Mrs. Jones goes to bingo and she's got type 2 diabetes and likes salty snacks or sweet snacks, let's make sure when Mrs. Jones goes to bingo, there's some healthy snacks in her backpack that she brings right. with her magic markers for the bingo set, right. et cetera.
0: So this this could be you know the the force that that you know dare I say helps pharma overcome that product feature benefit kind of mindset that that we often see them lapse into when it comes to marketing they're very comfortable you know focusing on the product and mm-hmm. you know no surprise there it takes a lot of money to get over that finish line you know it's a major accomplishment as you said and you don't want to necessarily take many chances but this this seems it just seems safe you know obviously. You know, focusing on the greater social milieu in which your product is going to be used mm-hmm. uh, seems, seems like a no-brainer.
1: You work with partners, you work with grocery store chains, you work with the why if you're working with kids, Mm -hmm. a pediatric product, you work with banks on financial wellness to help people pay for things. I mean, there are all kinds of social determinants, Mm -hmm. and you have to think about what's the condition you're working with, the demographic or the different Mm personae, because there'll be a few different types of people uh, using your product, and then what's relevant to them. It's a new kind of market research to do.
0: Right, and you know these. There's a lot of determinants that uh, sort of cross um, therapeutic categories. Like diabetes has a, a number of determinants that impact that patient's outcome, and, and cancer has another uh, set of determinants. So there's there's. Uh, you know, it seems like there's a lot of opportunity for biopharma to get involved there. Uh, yeah. So yeah, so um, I. You know, we could go on and on, but uh, I want to respect your time, and uh, you know, it's been really fascinating. So, uh, time flies. It did. It? <laughs> Thank you. Sure, of course. We're just going to finish up with some housekeeping items here. Um, basically, uh, I want to just let everybody know that we just launched on Monday um, our latest social initiative called Inspire the End, uh, which seeks to inspire our audience of healthcare communicators to submit creative design to elevate gun violence to a public health issue and bring about an end to this scourge. And you can read about that on MMM's social media channels and on our website. We just posted our editor-in-chief, Steve Madden, posted um, his piece on that today. Um, If you haven't already, also, be sure to take our career and salary survey. It's uh, open for business uh, and um, we're nearing our goal. So please be sure to fill that out and help us compile the most accurate picture of salaries uh, in in the industry. And finally, be sure to purchase your tickets for the MMM Awards coming up uh, in October. Uh, at Cipriani Wall Street, and you can find out information about that on our website as well. Well, that's going to do it for us. Um, you can read uh, Jane's, uh, inform- Jane's content at uh, her Health Populi blog and, of course, her Healthy Thinker handle. Uh, so thank you again for coming in, Jane. Thank you both so much for your hospitality. Absolutely. Anytime. Mm-hmm. Uh, happy to welcome you from Philly anytime. Um, and you could read my stuff, of course, at MMM online. Uh, and so that's going to do it uh, for Mark Iskowitz and uh, Carrie Gavitt, our producer. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you next time on the MMM podcast.